0: Good morning, everybody. Wanted to uh, start off, I know some of you guys might be feeling a little bit down, because um, Clay Thompson did not defend his title as the three-point shootout champion. So, um, but, uh, but don't you worry, because I heard an interview, he's going to be back next year, going to try to win it. So all you uh, uh, Warrior fans out there, don't worry, Clay will be back. It'll be good. It's all good. It's all good. Um, We are, if you're visiting with us, I want to say welcome to GRX. We are uh, actually nearing the end of our series on emotions. And next week, we'll be having a guest speaker come. We'll be having uh, Gene Chang Gorman come to be speaking about bitterness and moving from bitterness to peace. We've been looking at this series of emotions because Uh, there's this longing uh, that we would be successful. We'd be successful in life, in love, in relationships. And if we're emotionally immature, that's going to stunt our ability to have mature relationships and to grow uh, spiritually. If we're emotionally stunted or emotionally immature, our spiritual growth will be stunted Relational growth will be stunted. Even our work lives will be stunted if we're emotionally uh, immature. So we've been looking at this uh, series on emotions, and today, we're going to particularly look at a few emotions. We're going to look at worry that's worry and anxiety together and move from worry and anxiety to hope and assurance. So moving from anxiety to assurance. And what I've been trying to do through the whole series is really help us do three things with our emotions. Number one, to name to name our emotions. What are we actually feeling? To give us some language around the things that we are feeling inside. And then the second thing is to respond. To respond to those emotions rather than to react. Not just fly off the handle if we're angry, but to respond to the emotions we feel. And then the third thing is to be transformed, to be transformed by God working in us, so that we name our emotions, we respond to them, and then we open ourselves to God's transformation. So today's message, we're actually going to cover a lot of ground. There's two passages I want us to look at. And then across all that, I'm going to talk about um, how can we understand worry and anxiety, Then I'm going to make a case for assurance and hope. And then I'm going to talk about, thirdly, how how do we deal? How do we deal with that? So first of all, we'll look at two passages in Scripture. I'm going to read something out of the Old Testament, out of the book of Psalms, and then I'll read something out of the book of Matthew. Both of these passages have to do with anxiety and assurance. They have to do with things that people are worried about, and then assurance and hope that we have. The book of Psalms gives us this uh, great word picture. It's a picture of a house and God building a house. So it'll be uh, up on the screen here, but it's Psalm 127, and I'll just read the first couple of verses of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. just want you to hold this word picture in your mind. The Lord is building this house, but the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, you're building in vain. Unless the Lord is at work, your work is in vain. And what is that work? You're eating the bread of anxious toil. If you're not building the Lord's house, if you're not building with the Lord. So that's this word picture. What house is the Lord building? As you hold on to that, let's look over at Matthew. And this is a very, very famous teaching that Jesus gives. In Matthew chapter 6, what we've got is the Sermon on the Mount, and what the scene is is that Jesus is by the Sea of Galilee, and there is a hill, a mount they call it, but it's just really a hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus goes up onto that hill, and there's all these crowds following him, and so the, the crowds are there, and Jesus goes up onto the top of this hill with all the disciples. And they sit down, and Jesus begins to teach them. And this is out of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to look at a portion of that teaching where all these large crowds are there. It's a very quiet hillside. You can go to that place today if you go to Israel, and the Sea of Galilee is there, and you can stand on the top, and there's something really just beautiful about the acoustics. And someone can be speaking from the top of this hill. And you can hear it all the way down. So here's Jesus teaching the crowds and his disciples. And he's talking to them about anxiety and worry. There's this interplay between faith and fear. Fear about the future, fear about not having enough. And then Jesus invites them into a a place of faith. Are you not more value than they? Jesus is teaching on the hillside. There might have been birds flying overhead. And he goes, look at the birds. You're more valuable than them. Also on this hillside, it's this grassy hillside. He says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, this is King Solomon out of the Old Testament, a very famous rich king. Yet even King Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these, like one of these lilies. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, is thrown into the fire for cooking, thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you O you of little faith! Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, "What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear?" For the Gentiles, the non-followers of non-Jewish people, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But, and this is the faith part, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Don't be anxious about the future, because today, be concerned about today, be concerned about today, and be concerned about God's kingdom. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about your clothing. Don't worry about food. Don't worry, don't worry. Okay, so these are these two foundational passages. Psalm 127, about building the house, and then this passage in Matthew 6. Don't be anxious, but seek first God's kingdom. So in the message today, I'm going to do these three things. I'm going to, one, talk about understanding anxiety and worry. What is anxiety and worry? Where does it come from? How can we understand that? And then the second thing I'm going to do is make a case for hope and assurance that we can see out of Scripture, we can see out of the world, a case for hope and assurance. And then the third thing, okay, so what do we do? The application. The third thing, how do we deal? If we feel worried, we feel anxious, how do we deal? How do we move forward from anxiety and worry into hope and assurance? So, Let me just say about understanding worry and anxiety. The who, what, and why of worry. This is going to be pretty obvious for you. I'm just going to articulate it, but you'll know this to be true. The who, what, and why of worry. So first of all, who worries? Everybody worries. Every single person worries. You worry, I worry, everyone worries. When Jesus is teaching this passage, It's a first-century agrarian society and they're worried about food and clothing. In our 21st-century tech society, people are still worried. We're not necessarily worried about food and clothing, but we are worried about the future. We're worried about career, we're worried about kids. Let me break this down as adults. This is what adults worry about. Adults worry about work, they worry about career, they worry about finances. They worry about relationships. If you're single, singles often worry about getting married. If you're married, you often worry about staying married. You worry about that. And if you are parents, you worry about your kids. Kids also worry. Kids worry when when, when their parents are fighting. The kids are worried. What's going to happen to our family? you talk to kids they're worried about school they're worried about getting good grades they're worried about friends you know even my dog worries some of you guys know our dog sherry dog Uh, some of you had met her like at the camp out or stuff like that when we leave the house our dog worries our dog worries we're not going to come back if you guys are dog lovers out there, i know you got some dogs out here like, your dog worries. Even when I left the house this morning, come down to church, I had to tell my dog, Sherry, dog, I'll be back. I'll be back. I'm leaving, and her forehead gets all wrinkled. She gets all wrinkled, and she looks like this. She goes, and she's worried. She's worried. Sherry, if you're listening to this podcast at home, <laughs> you better not be on the couch right now. I'm coming home. So everybody worries. Adults worry Kids worry, even dogs worry, like we worry. So this is what worry, what does worry look like? Worry has an inward reaction and an outward reaction. The inward reaction, maybe when you worry, you have this. There's teeth grinding, it feels gut-wrenching, you have an upset stomach, there's hand-wringing, you feel paralyzed, like what should I, you're just like ruminating on it inwardly. You're just worried about it all the time as you're running over things outward reactions to worry. There's anger It's blowing up at other people. Sometimes the worry finds itself out in hyperactivity. People get really hyper into doing stuff. Anxious chattering. If you're an extrovert, you worry by talking a lot. You introduce unnecessary complexity to a situation. You attempt to control things. If you're an introvert, you overanalyze. That's how it works when we're worried. And why do we worry? We worry because we are anxious about the future. What shall we wear? What shall we eat? That's what they were worried about in the first century. We worry, what's going to happen? And because we worry about the future and we can't control it, what we try to do is then we try to be in control. Have you ever thought about this? That worry is actually a way of trying to be in control. Because if we can worry about it, we can focus our mind towards something, and we think that sort of through worrying about it, we might be able to solve whatever is going to happen. So we keep worrying about it because we're trying to somehow control it. We're nervous about uncertainty, we're nervous about change. And so we're trying to control it somehow. And that's why we worry. Because we're trying to control it. We're trying to control uncertainty. An alternative to trying to control it is what Jesus introduces when Jesus talks about faith and trust. And see, this is where Jesus himself puts worry and anxiety opposed to faith and trust. Because we're going to look at this again, but what Jesus is doing is he's saying, you're anxious. Don't be anxious. Have faith, trust in your heavenly Father. All right, so that's about understanding worry. We all worry. We try to control in worry. But now I'm going to move to trying to make a case because Jesus is trying to make a case that we don't live in worry, but that we live in in assurance and hope. So listen again to what Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount and see how he's putting anxiety and worry up against faith and trust. It's what Jesus says, Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Don't worry about the future. Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Of course you are. Of course, as human beings, you are of more value to the Father than these birds of the air. Jesus is saying, yes, your Father will take care of you. And then he says, which of you, by being anxious and worried, can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, the flowers that are sitting around you right here. How they grow, they neither toil, they don't spin, they're not anxious, they're not eating the bread of anxious toil, as it says in Psalms. They're not anxious, they're not toiling. Yet I tell you, even King Solomon in all his glory, was not dressed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven to make cooking, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You guys are much more valuable than the grass of the fields and the lilies. You are much more valuable than the birds of the air. So then here's Jesus saying, Therefore, don't be anxious saying, What should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear? Don't be anxious about the future. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The first thing that Jesus is making about the case your heavenly father knows. He knows. The heavenly father, he knows. He has a plan, and he knows what's going on. There's a woman, a pretty famous writer. Her name is Corrie Tenboom. She was writing out of her experiences during World War II, and she was someone who, along with her father... And Corrie, uh, along with her father and her sister, who's named Betsy, they were arrested by the Gestapo while they were in the Netherlands. It's all during World War II, and the Nazis were rounding people up, exterminating people. And right after they were arrested, Corrie ten Boom with her father and her sister, her father died about a week after they were arrested. And then later on... uh, Betsy died. Her her sister, Betsy, actually died in a concentration camp. Corey actually survived her concentration camp experience. Um, And she wrote uh, several things, but she wrote a book, and she wrote a book called Each New Day. Just reflecting on her experience, reflecting on her life, her arrest, the loss of her father, the loss of her uh, sister... Being imprisoned. And she writes this about worry. Corey Tenburn writes When I worry, I go to the mirror and say to myself, This tremendous thing which is worrying me is beyond a solution. It is especially too hard for Jesus Christ to handle you hear what she says? She says, this tremendous thing which is worrying me is beyond a solution. It is especially too hard for Jesus Christ to handle. And then she adds, after I've said that, I smile and I feel ashamed. This is a woman who has had incredible trial in her life. And when she's worried about something, she finds that she's worried about something. She goes to the mirror, she looks at herself and goes, wow, this thing doesn't have any solution, I'm worried about it. And Jesus, wow, it's too big for you. And then she smiles. And then she feels a little bit of shame. What's going on there for Corey? She knows it's not too big for Jesus to handle. She knows it's not too big for him. Take something that you are feeling worried about. What are you worried about right now? Today as you came into Sunday service, came to GRX, what is this something that you're worried about? What is that thing that you're kind of ruminating about, that you're wringing your hands about, you're anxious about? Relationship, is it something at work, is it finances? Maybe it is beyond a solution for you. But do you think really that it's especially too hard for Jesus to handle. Jesus teaches that our Heavenly Father knows. He knows. And because you are of more value than the birds of the air or the lilies of the field, He knows and He will take care of you. And we can trust in the goodness of the Heavenly Father who knows, because he loves you. Now, let me just say this as a bit of an aside. There is a difference between worry and concern. Because worry leads to ruminating and obsessing about something, but it leads to bondage. Worry doesn't lead to freedom. Worry leads to bondage that just eats away at us. But concern is different. Concern about something leads to preparation and it leads to planning and it leads to execution. You know, there's a lot of things that go into putting together this uh, trip that we're taking, this mission to the Philippines. One of the things that you saw that we were doing was collecting shoes for kids, prenatal vitamins, infant formula. Well, you guys, as a church, you guys responded with incredible generosity. And the result of all of the stuff that you guys have donated and given and contributed, the team, we are taking 18 boxes of stuff for Kids International. 18 boxes. It was so great. At the Ministry Center on Friday night, there was a team of like seven people. They were just itemizing stuff and packing these boxes and taping it all off, putting the address on it. But 18 boxes, 18 boxes. So here's an illustration about the difference between worry and concern. Worry would be, oh my gosh, 18 boxes. How are we going to get all those to the airport? Oh man, I don't know what we're going to do. How are we going to get them all to the airport? And I'm just like ruminating about concern, like anxious. But concern is different. Concern is, wow, we got 18 boxes. How do we get them to the airport? And then here comes George Tong. George Tong has a huge van. I'm like, hey, George, is your van free? He's like, yeah, yeah, take the van. Here's the keys. I was like, all right. And right now, right in front of our house, we got George Tong's van. It's loaded up with 18 boxes. Concern leads to action. Concern is very efficient. Hey, we need a van. George's guy got a van. We got it. Worry just leads to just more and more worry. So there's a difference between worry and concern. But Jesus redirects our worry to say, hey, don't be worried. Let me give you guys something to be concerned about. Jesus reorients his listeners' worry towards the thing that they should really have concern for. Don't worry about the future or your clothing. Be concerned about the kingdom of God. Seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And then all this other stuff, it'll be yours as well. Don't worry about that stuff. You've heard me say this before here at GRX. We went through this when we talked about the Good and Beautiful series by James Bryan Smith. But I shared with you something that James Brian Smith shares. It's a prayer that he says to himself in the morning. James Brian Smith, author of The Good and Beautiful God, Good and Beautiful Community, Good and Beautiful Life, he says this, I am one in whom God dwells and delights and I, along with others, live in the unshakable kingdom of God. I am one in whom God dwells and delights, and I, along with others, live in the unshakable kingdom of God. Reorienting his life away from worry into a concern for the kingdom. And that is the profound reality that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, that our hope and assurance is anchored not in the temporal things of this world, of our health, our jobs, our finances, our relationships. We're not anchored in those things. But our hope and assurance is anchored in the reality of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus redirects our worries away from the temporal things into the eternal things of God's kingdom and of our Father in heaven. That is the assurance and hope that we have. Now I know here at GRX as well, not everyone that comes to GRX is a follower of Jesus. And so there's also actually good news that's out there. If you're not a follower of Jesus, there's actually a movement away from worry and assurance that you can have that you can even find in the secular world. You can take this Actually, this was really interesting. I read this from a guy. He actually is a clinical professor at Cornell uh, University out in New York. And this guy, his name is Robert Leahy, Dr. Robert Leahy. He wrote a book that was called The Worry Cure. It's not actually a Christian book at all. It's not a religious book at all. It's a completely secular book. But even then, he's talking about how debilitating worry is. So in his book, The Worry Cure, he says this worriers, people that worry, they were asked to write down their worries over a two-week period and to predict what would happen. And so they just wrote down this list. Wow, in two weeks, I'm, this is what I'm worried about. I'm worried about this, and this bad outcome, and they were writing all this stuff down. Then what he did was he took all of that material, and then he figured out and talked to them about what were the actual outcomes of the things that they were worried about across this two week period. And what Dr. Robert Leahy found was that in 85% of the situations, 85% of the worried situations actually turned out positive. There was a positive outcome to the things that they were worried about. 85%. And then, so then you're asking, okay, well, what about the 15%, right? Of the other 15%, in the analysis, they found that of those, 79% of those outcomes, the people in the study were able to positively work through the thing that they were worried about. It wasn't negative. So only 3% of the things of all that whole list were actually negative. Only 3%. 85% were good outcomes. Then, of the 15%, you got 97% of those. I mean, you've got 79% of those that were good. So, I don't know if your statistics, maybe my math is wrong, but I took 15%, multiplied by 79%, and that got 11 point something percent, 12%. And that's where you ended up with only 3% of stuff that people were worried about was actually negative. What are you worried about? Are you worried about the future? Maybe not food or clothing. But why don't you check it out and see, are the things that you're really worried about really going to come to pass? So let me close this out with just a few ways of how to deal. We already looked at understanding worry. What is worry? We all worry. And then trying to make a case for hope and assurance. The hope and assurance that we have in Jesus Christ. The hope and assurance that we have that God loves us and knows us and values us. And then even from the secular world. That a lot of the stuff we worry about doesn't really come to pass. So then how do we deal? I'm going to talk about one. Name the stuff that we're worried about. Name it. That's what Jesus does. Jesus says, are you anxious about food or clothing? What's great about the teaching of Jesus is that Jesus surfaces worry because he knows our hearts. What are you worried about? Jesus is trying to surface it. Name the thing that you're worried about. And then the second thing is write it down. That's what it came from the study of Dr. Leahy. What are you worried about? And write it down. That's a response to worry rather than reacting. Rather than just reacting out of worry and feeling bad and feeling anxious, respond to it by taking the time to name your worry and then write it down. Another way to respond to it is that you can respond in prayer. A lot of times after you've named it and you've written it down, You can move from that place to then praying about your worries. In 1 Peter chapter 5, some of you might have even memorized this this passage. It says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he might exalt you and cast all your anxieties on him because he cares about you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares about you. Because you're more valuable than the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Cast all your anxieties on him. Let's pray. Pray about your anxieties. And speak plainly to God. If you're worried about something, speak plainly to God about that. And then the last thing is what Jesus is trying to do. Transform your attention to God. Transform your attention away from the things that you're worried about to seek first God's activity and God's presence around you. To seek first his kingdom. Because we are living in the unshakable kingdom of God. That's a reality. We are living in the unshakable kingdom of God. I opened up with Psalm 127, that image of God building a house, and I'm going to bring us back to that, listening to how the kingdom of God is at work even through this passage. Psalm 127, verse 1 and 2, it says this, Unless the Lord builds the house those who build it labor in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late, to re- go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. You know, I was thinking, we are pretty good at building. We're pretty good at building here at GRX. We're good at building our careers, pretty good at building our families, our relationships, good at building wealth, good at building our resumes, good at building reputation. We like to build. But what often happens for us modern people is that we build a house and then we ask God to bless it. We build a house first and then we ask God to build with us. But that's not what Psalms is saying. That's not what Jesus is saying when he's saying, seek first the kingdom. What they're saying is, where is God building? What is God doing? What is God's kingdom at work in doing? And then we are to participate in that. Unless the Lord builds the house, you build it in vain. But if you build with God's house, if you seek first kingdom, then all these other things will be taken care of. It's really cool to be a part of GRX because already there are so many people here who are building within what God is building. There are so many people here who are seeking first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. Last week we had our town hall meeting and it was just cool right up here to hear people who are stepping out in faith over fear fear Participating in the city team, the homeless ministry. Working and going and volunteering with gleanings to help package food for people who are in need of food. Folks going on um, this Philippines mission team. Folks stepping out in faith over fear. Seeing what God is doing in the world and then participating in that. Seeing where God is building and then building that way. There are going to be more opportunities for us. 40 days of prayer is an opportunity to seek first God's kingdom rather than building something else. Vacation Bible school, inviting someone to church at Easter, all of these ways are to be mindful of the ways that God's kingdom is present and being built now and the way that we have an opportunity to be a part of that. Let me pray for us. God, our life is too short to live with a lot of worry and anxiety. God, you call us to something that's much bigger to build the house that you're building, to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And then all this other stuff, you'll take care of it. All this other stuff is going to be ours too. So God, I pray that we as a people, we as a church, we continue to grow and strengthen so that we might be able to seek you, not seek worry, not seek anxiety, but seek you and seek your kingdom and build where you are building. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.